0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jared, and under here we have South Jersey Jason Bryan. How are you doing today,
1: sir? I'm doing good. It's one week till Christmas. I got my Christmas story mug. I got hot cocoa in here. Hot cocoa? I should have went with the hot cocoa. It is chilly tonight, and I think it's going down to the 20s in a couple of days. Damn,
0: son. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. We ain't got no 20s coming, so that's nice.
1: I, we have snow in our forecast next week starting like, oh gosh, I think like Monday, Tuesday, but definitely Thursday and Friday. Ah, maybe well, you get um, a little
0: white Christmas, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, when I think of snow, I think of the classic um, better off that this mountain, it's pure snow. <laughs> Do you have any idea the street value of this thing? I can't feel my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Um, hilarious. Classic, classic John Cusack. So, um, yeah, it's Christmas. I can't believe the holidays are almost here, but you know what? It makes you happy because it's one month closer to home season for next year.
0: That's right. Let's get this Christmas bullshit over. I was just (laughs) writing down all the gifts I bought. I still have shopping to do, so I'm pissed. Oh, my gosh. But me me and Terry went in with a plan. We were like, listen, we're going to wrap up everything we got. We got paid Friday. Let's knock it all out Saturday and just continue pushing.
1: And then Sunday, you're going to Longwood Gardens. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I get talked into this shit. Uh, Well, you know, I guess, you know, you're doing your husbandly duty by saying yes, dear.
0: Yeah, we're going with some pretty good friends. So I'll just, that's good. I'll close
1: drama the whole time. It'll be entertaining. I had yet to go to Long Longwood and I don't see myself ever going.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. Till so I was told that's where we're going. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going.
1: Yeah, yeah. So have you uh had a chance to watch any horror movies lately other than what we're reviewing tonight? Or? Oh,
0: what if I watched? I watched This Is the End, but that's not really a horror. That's
1: if the it, one like where it's the end of the Yeah, where the where the devil Seth has Rogan. a
0: giant dog on him.
1: You know, I watched it once, and I don't even think I really paid attention It to was it.
0: it was funnier the second
1: time. Okay.
0: But, I mean, it's not really... I didn't really watch a ton of horror. I was trying to watch uh, a bunch of shit that would take up a lot of time since I was gone mm-hmm. all week. Yeah. Uh, so I watched Narcos again. Okay. And then I uh, just watched... You couple, watched Clerks 3. I did watch Clerks 3.
1: Now, what was your thought on it? Like... Was it? I mean, I know you you enjoyed it. Uh Um, Did you see? Like it to me? Like I love the first one because I could relate to it. Yeah. The second one, eh, it was funny. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but it just didn't have the magic of the first one.
0: You're never gonna recapture.
1: No. The third one I felt was on par with part two, but. He definitely ended the story of Randall and Dante.
0: Yep. Which was due. It allows him to move on to other projects, and you could tell how much his heart attack affected him.
1: Yeah, because that was basically his story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope we get a mall brats. I mean, I don't know if how. They've
0: been working on mall rats, too, for the last 10 years.
1: And, you know, the fact that the mall is, like, almost extinct, I don't think they could really pull it off. Like. If a younger generation was to watch it, they'd be like, what is this about? You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're running into that area where they might not get it. They really might yeah.
1: not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, fi- I, f- I finished Wednesday. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice. Very nice. I loved how they did throw you red herrings as to who the monster or who the sister was Um, and the monster. I always had a feeling it was the normie. As far as who the sister was, my first gut instinct was, I mean, if you haven't seen the show, shame on you, it's been out for a month now, <laughs> um, Christina Ricci. Right. But then halfway through, I'm like, mm, maybe it's just a psychiatrist. Uh, you know? I,
0: I've it, it all clicked when you found out, but I was like, you know what? That makes sense, because she's kind of a big name to have such a small little fucking yeah. role in this show.
1: Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely can't wait for the second season. And um, Jenna Ortega just killed it. She did. She did, yeah.
0: It made me um, more excited about Scream because I hope she has a bigger piece in that Scream. What'd you think of the Scream trailer?
1: Now, I haven't gone back to watch it a second time yet.
0: Not enough to really tell. I mean, that's the point of a teaser. It's cool to see everyone back. And then there's also a couple other people back. And. I don't know. People keep playing with the IMDb stuff, and the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh. now apparently the big, uh the big uh, mystery or conspiracy is Anna Joy Taylor's in it.
1: Now who is that? I she, she's familiar. the
0: girl from The Witch, and she was in,
1: oh yeah yeah. A really hey, maybe UV maybe looking we'll, girl. Yeah, maybe we'll get um. Hey, maybe we'll get um. Nev Campbell. Maybe that whole I quit thing was just a ploy to throw the fans off. Could be. Yeah. But damn it, I want Stu to come back. <laughs> Everybody wants Stu want. to come yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I did watch Christmas Bloody Christmas. And that like the guy who made that made this film called VFW, like same, like low budget. It was like a indie Favorite came out a couple years ago within the past two to three years. I have yet to see it, but I think you can find it like on Tubi. And people said it was fun for an independent film. This one, I went in with the expectation that it's gonna be just stupid. <sighs> and my expectations were right. Basically, it basically think of if you got silent, night, deadly night, meets the Terminator and put them together. Okay. 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 You have a a cybernetic Santa Claus, like he's like a, a display. I think I don't know if he was actually for sale or if he was just like at a, a toy store, but somehow he comes to life, and I don't even think they they said how he comes to life, you know. <laughs> um, but it's actually played by. Abraham Ben Ruby, who now for us old school people, he was the bully on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which came back, I was like early 90s. That was sort of like a Phyllis Bueller's type character. Um, But then he got claimed to fame later on. Um, He was the orderly in ER for 10 seasons or whatever. But uh, he's a he's a he's a fun actor, always does like side characters like he was like a villain in buffy the vampire slayer but i'm like man that because you can't really tell who the actor is but the eyes i can never forget his eyes and i looked it up like oh it's abraham um the kills were great uh he killed kids now it wasn't on screen but you got the splatter effect yeah um and then totally the end scene was a pure ripoff of the end scene in the original terminator when they're in the the factory and it's like him just in robotic form going for Sarah Connor you know yeah so check it out like sometime next year it's it's, it's kind of slow paced um but it def- definitely it was, a, it was a fun film very cool um unfortunately i haven't gotten to see violent night so i'll probably pick that up when it comes out on dvd um, the mean one was supposed to come out on streaming today, but because they put it in the theaters, they pushed um, it back. So, yeah, so which kind of sucks. As I really wanted to see it, and I'm not going to go pay to go see it. No, no. Uh, I don't pay for Christmas one, movies. We <laughs> talked briefly about Monster Mania and their uh triple the, announcement today. Yeah,
0: the double booking of the Terrifier crew. You got uh David Lee Thornton, uh Damien Leone, and the little David girl. Howard Thornton. David, yeah, yep. and um that
1: guy think her name's Amelia something. Yeah, they're he's they're gonna monopolize on that. That's the hot thing right now. And you know I'm calling it now. I bet you for the next year or two, any horror movie that comes out is gonna be the gore porn, Gore porn type horror. Yeah. Because that's what Terrifier is. And you know, Terrifier started out as this indie thing, not a lot of people knew about it. But now that it got this theatrical release, release, you have a lot of newer fans, which I've had these, I see a lot of these cosplayers who never cosplayed art before, but they're all about art now. And I'm like, you're only doing it because that's the hot thing. And I'm not, and I'm not knocking them. It's, they just never talked about Art the Clown before. Yep. <laughs> I don't, I only know two, three art cosplayers. But now it's like what I see on my Instagram feed. And I'm like, you're just jumping on the bandwagon. Jumping
0: in the bandwagon. Not a
1: favorite.
0: Uh -uh. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. um, They've, man, I don't know. Cool, but they just had them. So I'm just like, there's millions of horror movies. Can't you? But whatever. I don't
1: run it. um, Also, I want to give out a shout out. Oh, we
0: got shout outs.
1: Yeah. Ron Gann. Um, I think he actually commented on our very, I think it was our very first episode, or maybe our second episode, but coming out Friday the 13th of January, he has, and you can get this on Amazon. I'm buying it directly from him because I'm getting an autograph by him and Bill Randolph who played Jeff in Friday the 13th part two. It's called Sackhead: The definitive, the definitive retrospective on Friday the 13th part two. Hmm. Um, so it's a 300 page book. Ron is like the walking encyclopedia of all Friday the 13th part two. Okay. Um, that's his favorite movie. He's got a killer part two cosplay. Um, I believe I talked about him earlier. He had made like the Camp Crystal Lake diorama yes, coffee table. Yes, yes. yeah. So, um, so this book is g- going to be really good. Like, if Part Two is your favorite, you definitely want to have this on your on your coffee table. I think it retails for eighteen ninety nine. Not bad, not bad at all for a three hundred page book. You know, yeah. And Bill Randolph will have a forward in it, and. Myself, I know myself along with some others, I don't know who the others are, will be mentioned in, I guess maybe at the end as to why part two is like in your one of your favorites. Making the literature so, rounds so, now. Look so, at you. Hey, look at that. So if you buy the book, I too can autograph it for you if you want. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Um, all right. So we're you, here to talk about what yeah you have something?
0: You wanna play the trailer for what we're about to cover? Even though Absolutely, there's been a picture yeah. next to you the whole time. Yeah. This movie doesn't make your skin crawl; it's on too tight. Rated R. All right, so that is Black Christmas from 1974.
1: So, oh boy, this was a very slow burn. Yes, Uh, I know you aren't a fan of it. Not gonna say I hated it
0: because the ending kind of brought it back together and. Yeah, I'm not gonna say made me go yes, but it didn't feel like I wasted two hours.
1: Yeah, and you know what, this is the first time I've seen it in its entirety, and I don't know how many years. Um, is it in my top 10 of like horror movies? No, no, um, but it, it has a precedent of creating a slasher uh, genre now there are there have been a few films before it that you could argue you know created it one of the ones that come off the top of my head is uh psycho yes it wasn't really a slasher per se but if you if you gave me an option of which movie to watch i would pick psycho <laughs> yeah so um another reason i kind of enjoyed it is because Bob Clark directed it, and if you don't really know the name, ten years later he would release a Christmas story, <laughs> which has gone on to be a family favorite of probably around the world. So I know um, it
0: starts off my Christmas Eve every year.
1: Yep, I'm working Christmas Eve, but I'll have it on my monitor at my workstation. So just <laughs> playing. like last night. I mean, I've been watching, I've been having like AMC on my monitor, and uh, last night it was, um, well, of course, National Lampoons. They played, and I think followed by that was Four Christmases. And I I like the, the the movie, the one with um, Vince Vaughn and um, Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. My favorite part is when they go visit his family, John Favreau and Tim McGraw, who are the MMA fighters. Yeah, you know the red the red the rednecks. But uh, yes, yeah, so let's get into Black Christmas now. This is a cult classic. Um, as I said, it's not in my top 10, probably because of the very, very slow pace. What I consider, I consider more of a thriller or a psychological thriller than a horror. Yeah. Um, very little gore, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about that. So Black Christmas was actually originally titled Silent Night, Evil Night in the United States. And if you hear something in the background, that's Dutch getting in the chip.
0: And a funny so. story about that, when I was looking for the trailer... Two of them did say "Silent Night, Deadly Night" instead of "Black Christmas."
1: Oh, really? Oh, wow! Look at that. I have to look. I have to look for those trailers and um, see how they compare to like the original trailer. Oh, it's the same trailer. It just says uh, "Okay, gotcha. Silent
0: Night, Deadly Night" instead of "Black Christmas." I'm like, okay, that's going to confuse people. Let me find another right. one.
1: Yeah. So as I stated, um, it was uh, it was a slasher film produced and directed by Bob Clark, written by A. Roy Moore. It stars Olivia Hussey, Keir Duella, Marty Kidder, Andrea Martin, Lynn Griffin, and John Saxon. The story follows a group of sorority sisters who receive threatening phone calls and are eventually stalked and murdered by a deranged killer during the Christmas season. Inspired by the urban legend of Babysitter and the Man Upstairs and a series of murders that took place in the Westmount neighborhood of Montreal, Quebec, Moore wrote the screenplay under the title Stop Me. The filmmakers made numerous alterations to the script, primarily the shifting to a university setting with young adult characters. It was shot in Toronto in 1974 on an estimated budget of $620,000 and was distributed by Warner Brothers in North America. Did
0: they give that all to John Saxon? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what the hell they Probably spent that John money on.
1: Saxon margaret kidder and <laughs> olivia hussey yeah probably you know? even though like margaret kidder really didn't have a big role in it you know and she and this is this is five years before annieville horror and margaret kidder looked like a hard 30 and it's oh yeah like like she's geez. already
0: been on the uh the dab for uh, She's
1: yeah she's sipping the sauce for a while <sighs> i mean she was she didn't look like a college student no like, no all all the girls, except for her, looked like they were in college. Yeah, they all so, pulled it off. Yeah. Upon its release, Black Christmas received mixed reviews, but has since received critical reappraisal with film historians, noting it for being one of the earliest slasher films. It is also praised for its influence on John Carpenter's Halloween. Aside from its earning a cult following since the release, a novelization written by Lee Hayes was published in 1976. It is the first film in the Black Christmas series, being followed by two remakes in 2006 and 2019. And I did recently just watch the 2006 one, so I'll touch base on that. I have watched the 2019 one, and that one is more, that one closely resembles the original than the first remake. The film has since received retroactive recognition and has been regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made. So Black Christmas was initially developed by Canadian screenwriter Roy Moore, who wrote the screenplay under the title Stop Me. Inspirations, like I said, came from the urban legend known as the Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which had become widespread during the 1970s. Moore also claimed to have been inspired by a series of murders that occurred during the holiday season in the Westmount area of Montreal. As noted in an article for The Telegraph, the murders which occurred in 1943 were perpetrated by a 14-year-old boy who bludgeoned several of his family members to death. Film producers Harvey Sherman and Richard Schauden had Timothy Bond rewrite the script to give it a university setting. Clark, who had felt the original script was too much of a straightforward slasher film, made several alterations in dialogue and also incorporated humorous elements into the film, particularly the drunkenness of Barb and Mrs. Mack, who Clark based on his aunt. Clark felt that college and high school students had not been depicted with any sense of reality in American film and that he intended to capture the astuteness of the young adults. College students, even in 1974, are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis, beach blankets, and bingo. Olivia Hussey, who had previously garnered international fame for her role as Juliet in Franco's Affiliate's Romeo and Juliet, signed on to appear in the film after being told by a psychic that she would make a film in Canada that would earn a great deal of money. Clark salt Cara Dwell to played the role of Peter based on his performance as Dave Bowman in 2001's The Space Odyssey. The role of Mrs. Mac was offered to Betty Davis, who declined the part. I think she would have helped the movie if she stayed in it, you know? Without a doubt. Yeah, Margaret Kidder was cast in a role of Barb and said she had been attracted to the character because she was wild and out of control and not a conventional leading part. For the role of Claire Harrison, whose murder jumpstarts the film's plot, Toronto native Lynn Griffin was cast after her mother, who was also her casting agent at the time, got her an audition. Griffin would later on to go star in Curtains and in the acclaimed television series, Win at My Back. Gilda Radner was offered the role of Phyllis Carlson. She accepted the part, but dropped out one month before filming began, owing to Saturday Night Live commitments, and was replaced by Andrea Martin. The role of Lieutenant Fuller was originally given to Edmund O'Brien. Upon his arrival to the set, however, the producers realized he would be unable to fill the duties required of the part due to his failing health. John Saxon, who had read the script prior, was called by the producers who offered him the role. He accepted and had to arrive in Toronto from New York City within two days to begin shooting. For the role of the film's antagonist, Italian-Canadian actor Nick Mancuso was cast as one of the main voices in the phone call sequence. When auditioning for the role, director Clark had Mancuso sit in a chair facing away from him so as not to see the actor's face. Clark then had Mancuso experiment with different voices in order to come up with one that was right for the character, with Clark later offering him the part. Black Christmas was shot on location in Toronto in the winter of seventy three and seventy four. The house featured in film had been discovered by Clark while scouting for lo- excuse me locations, and its owners agreed to to lease the home for the production. Additional photography was completed on the University of Toronto campus. According to John Saxon, Clark had meticulously drawn out storyboards with key shots, which he brought to the film set each day. I could understand exactly what I thought he needed and the scene needed. Scenes in the film providing POV shot of Billy's scaling the house was accomplished through the use of a rig designed by camera operator Bert Dunk, who was attached to Dunk's head. As he climbed up the side of the house, Griffin's death scene, which was shot with a handheld camera in a real closet, was accomplished in only a couple of takes. According to Griffin, her character's surprise as the killer lunges from the closet was genuine, as the actress later recalled. It was a total shock because I didn't really know when to expect him to jump out. Shots of, Cl- of Claire's corpse in the rocking chair required the actress to wear an actual plastic bag overhead for extended periods of time. Griffin would also state that these scenes came relatively easy for her. I was actually, and still am, a fairly good swimmer, so I could hold my breath for a long time. And I could also keep my eyes open for a long time without blinking. Margaret Kidd remembered shooting the film as being fun. I really bonded with Andrea Martin filming in Toronto and on t- and and Ontario Olivia Hussey was a bit of an odd one she was obsessed with the idea of falling in love with Paul McCartney through her psychic we were a little hard on her for things like that see and I always (laughs) had a thing for Olivia you know like when I first saw her in Romeo and Juliet and then um I didn't see her again until she was Norman Bates mother in Psycho 4 Uh... and she's had some other things but she was just so beautiful and I always wanted her to be a Bond girl like she would have been a perfect Bond girl in the 70s, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right, so post production the composer of the film score, Carl Zitter, stated in an interview that he created the film's mysterious music by tying forks, combs, and knives onto the strings of the piano to warp the sound of the keys. Zitter also stated that he would distort the sound further by recording its sound onto an audio tape and make the sound slower. The audio for disturbing phone calls was performed by multiple actors, including Mancuso and director Bob Clark. Mancuso stated in an interview that he stood on his head during the recording sessions to compress his thorax and make his voice sound more demented. Mancuso spent only three days recording dialogue for the character, later recalling the experience as being very avant-garde, with Clark encouraging him to improvise with the character's voice. I'm surprised, like, he doesn't go to the conventions like, um, the guy that does, uh, like, the ghost face uh, Robert Jackson. Yeah. yeah, and, like, do voicemails, you know? So, capitalize on this, man. During preparation in 1975 for the film's American release, Warner Brothers studio executives asked Clark to change the concluding scene to show Claire's boyfriend, Chris, appear in front of Jess and say, Agnes, don't tell them what we did before killing her. However, Clark insisted on keeping the ending ambiguous. The original title of the film was initially planned to be Stop Me. Clark has stated in an interview that he came up with the film's official title, saying that he enjoyed the irony of a dark event occurring during a festive holiday. According to Clark as well, Warner Brothers changes the title to Silent Night, Evil Night for the United States theatrical release. So it was distributed in Canada by Ambassador to Film Distributors and released in Toronto on October 11th, 1974. In the United States, Warner Brothers released the film in tandem with the Christmas season on December 20th, 1974. They should have released it in November. That's too It's too close to Christmas, you know. So for the American release, Warner Brothers initially changed the title to Silent Night, Evil Night, worried that the original title would, would mislead audiences to believing the film was a black exploitation movie. They retracted the title after the initial release, restoring it to Black Christmas for subsequent screenings. The film later screened on October 20th, 1975 in New York City and Chicago as well as 19 theaters in Los Angeles, where it generated considerable ticket sales. This prompted Warner Brothers to expand the release to a total of 70 theaters nationwide in time for Halloween, but the film only generated a daily average of 700 per theater, per day, after which Warner Brothers withdrew the film from circulation in December. The film had previously screened under the alternative title Silent Night, Evil Night in Virginia on July 14th, 1975. The film was the third highest grossing Canadian film of all time in Canada with a gross of $2 million. And these movies we've never heard of, so I'm not going to tell them what they were. (laughs) Overall, Black Christmas grossed over $4.53 million internationally. So... Win. for yeah it made 620 so i think they they won so this is why i i miss about growing up in the era when we did when you would have movie premieres on network television this film, under the title Stranger in a House, was set to make its network television premiere on Saturday night, January 28, 1978, on NBC's weekly Saturday Night at the Movies. Two weeks prior to its premiere, the Chai Omega Sorority House on the campus of Florida State University in Tallahassee was the scene of a double murder in which two Chaya Omega sisters asleep in their beds were bludgeoned to death. The killer then went to a nearby room in the sorority house and violently attacked two more sleeping co-eds who survived. The killer was later identified as Ted Bundy, who was executed for this and other homicides on January 24th, 1989. A few days later, a few days before the film was set to premiere on network television, Florida's then governor, Reuben Eskew, contacted NBC president Robert Mulholland to request a movie not to be shown due to his all too similar theme as the murders of the sorority sisters by an unknown madman at the sorority house. On Tuesday, January 24th, NBC gave several of its affiliates in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama the option of showing an alternate film, Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze, in place of Stranger in a House. The report revealed that the network said in a statement issued yesterday in New York City that it was responding to concern voiced by the affiliates because of the murder of the two co-heads. An unseen man climbs the exterior sorority house where a Christmas party is being held and enters the attic. The house phone rings. Okay. So now we're going to the plot. I forgot to put the plot. (laughs) So, um, all right. So we're getting to the movie. Um, we kind of have like, you know, what would become like a Michael Myers point of view. Um, we have someone, um, scaling the house of the sorority house, where we're having a Christmas party, and he enters the attic. The house phone rings, and Jess Bradford answers to discover it's an obscene phone call from a person who is called before known as the Moaner. Jess calls the other sorority girls, and they listen as the caller rants, moans, and screams in strange voices. And I have to admit, those voices were creepy. Yeah,
0: especially when he started yelling the, uh, see you next Tuesday. I was just uh, like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting that at a 74.
1: mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Bob Clark, you surprise me. You make you you have this utter dialogue that I would never say to a woman, but then he, ten years later, you just have a warm, fuzzy Christmas movie.
0: I know that makes everyone yeah. hot, choke, yeah. hot cocoa inside.
1: Yeah. Um, so the girls are initially startled by the caller, but Barb, an inebriated student, insults the caller. That smarter kidder. After a moment of bickering, the caller threatens to kill them in a sudden tone. A younger student, Claire Harrison, suggests that the caller could be a rapist before returning to her bedroom to pack her suitcase. Right when she leaves, Miss McHenry, the house mother, arrives and is immediately given a negligee by the girls. That wasn't a negligee. That was a moo-moo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is not a negligee. They gave her a moo-moo.
0: Yeah, agreed. As
1: as Claire packs her things upstairs, she, she fails to notice the intruder hiding behind a plastic dress bag. I failed to notice that, too. I wasn't expecting that because it's been so long. Claire eventually hears the cat meowing from the closet and slowly approaches it, only to be suffocated with a plastic dress bag. And now when he um, after he killed her, that was a really cool shot of her, like in the in the in the the window within the rocker, which set up like the poster for the film Uh, as a party wraps up the killer. Carries Claire's body into the attic and places her into a rocking chair by the attic window. But here's the thing: that house must be so big that you can't, you don't hear like any rumblings up in the attic. Oh, you're you gonna know? hear
0: it, because I could hear everything in my old house. Yeah.
1: The following morning, Claire's father arrives to take her home for Christmas break, but she fails to show up. Mrs. McHenry assumes Claire went to the fraternity house for a party and helps Mr. Harrison look for her. Later that day, Jess goes to the conservatory to meet her boyfriend, Peter, and explains to him that she is pregnant and planning to get an abortion, which, again, you didn't, movies didn't talk about this, to my knowledge, like in the early 70s, you know? Yeah. So um, this makes him upset, and he forces her to continue this discussion later that night. In town, Mr. Harrison, Barb, and Phil attempt to report Claire is missing to Sergeant Nash, who doesn't take them seriously until Chris Hayden, Claire's boyfriend, barges in angrily later that night and demands something be done in Claire's disappearance. And you know why I would take him serious? He came in with that motherfucking huggy bear fur coat. <laughs> Pip coat. <laughs> wow. I was like, and I was like, damn, that is like, what college student is wearing that? <laughs> i was like i was like wow that's a fur coat if i ever saw one at the police station they learned that a high school girl janice Quaff, has also vanished after putting a drunken barb to bed mr harrison chris jess and phil help search for the missing girl meanwhile the house mother mrs mchenry discovers claire's body and the killer throws a crane hook into her face hanging and killing her in the park the missing girl's disfigured body is found by the police Jess answers another obscene phone call and decides to file a report with the police, only for Peter to surprise her. He attempts to persuade her into marriage, but she refuses and reaffirms her decision to have an abortion. Peter leaves angrily while Lieutenant Fuller arrives with a telephone lineman to bug the phone. Jess stays up to pick up the phone, but leaves when she hears Barb having an asthma attack. Barb claims that she had a nightmare where she saw a man walk into her room. After calming her down, Jess hears Christmas carolers at the front door and leaves Barb unattended. The killer walks into Barb's room and stabs her to death with a glass unicorn figurine. Her cries for help are drowned out by the caroling. Jess experiences another unnerving phone call in which the caller restates her argument with Peter. Lieutenant Fuller calls her to say the attempt to trace the call failed and theorizes that Peter could be responsible, but just doubts this. And man, imagine being that lineman who's got to like walk all around that. I know. <laughs> I was like, I want to know how this works. And like, how do you find out where the call is coming from? Like,
0: right. It was just like little pistons going up and down. I'm yeah, like, how do you know yeah. which one's which? There's no fucking yeah. tag.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, After Jess and Phil are spooked by a couple of search party members, they set out and lock up every door and window in the house. Phil sees Barb's door closed and goes to check in on her, only for her to be killed off screen. Jess gets one final phone call in which the killer alludes to some sort of transgression between two children named Agnes and Billy. The call is long enough to be traced, and Sergeant Nash instructs Jess to leave the house immediately as the calls are coming from within the house. Concerned for Barb and Phil, she ventures upstairs where she discovers their bodies jess sees the killer's eyes eye through a crack as he slowly begins to close it on her she slams the door in his face and runs downstairs jess flees into the basement and locks it shut as the killer bangs on it she then hears footsteps walking away and presumably the front door opening however when she walks downstairs into the basement jess sees peter peek through a window and call her name he breaks the window and enters the basement as he calls her name wordly wordly once peter finds her he begins to approach her as she backs away and clutches the fire poker the police arrive and hear jess screaming they discover her barely conscious in the basement with peter's bloody body next to her believing that peter was the killer they put jess to bed sedated in her room and leave her alone in the house with the cops standing outside all right this part had me cracking up now i know they wouldn't do that in today's day and age and i highly doubt they would do that 50 years ago You've been attacked by someone, and you're not going to take her to the hospital. You're just going to sedate her. And yeah, that was still there's still bodies up in the attic. Like, poor, come on, John Saxon. <laughs> this is why you got killed by Freddie in part three. Yeah, like poor, poor policeman,
0: Mark. Poor, poor. damn, damn John <laughs> Saxon. Mm-hmm. But he made the um, movie more watchable. Maybe because I'm yeah. a nightmare fanboy, or he did,
1: he, he added some credibility, yeah. you know um and i, I want to say this was not too long after enter the dragon because wasn't he the villain and enter the dragon he was yeah the killer okay so after this happens the killer's voice is heard from the attic implying that he's still alive the still undiscovered bodies of claire and mrs mchenry are seen through the attic before the house telephone begins to ring leaving jess's fate ambiguous so legacy so as i stated earlier Um, this has gained a massive cult following as notable for being one of the early slasher films. It went on to inspire other slasher films. The biggest one of them all being Halloween. Um, you, you can see Carpenter followed suit with like the point of view shots. Uh, Yeah. I'm
0: really glad he used the mask and not that weird bird eye lens that really fucked with my eyes when they were the killer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's on multiple lists of like uh, various um, polls for you know being number eighty-seven on Bravo's one hundred scariest movie Memories, sixty-seven on IndieWires' one hundred best horror movies of all time. Um, it's it's in an article that's the seventy-five best horror movies of all time. It ranked at forty-eight. Esquire placed it at twenty-three out of fifty in 2017 complex magazine named black christmas the second best slasher of all time uh i would let's calm down yeah i would want to see what other movies it was up against um and then jess bradford was number one in a list of 20 best final girls Uh, there's
0: way too many
1: yeah um Bob Clark maintained he did not intend for the film to have a political leanings. Critics have noted Black Christmas and nothing less a feminist film for its treatment of female characters, particularly just having agency and making the choice to have an abortion and its portrayal of casual misogyny as when the police initially failed to take the sorority's concerns about the phone calls and Claire's absence seriously.
0: All right, I'm glad uh, you
1: brought this up because this shit
0: all the time, the commentary. Do you think Bob Clark really cared to, or it was this just a critic making shit up like they always do because it drives me crazy with like oh the social commentary of this film was yeah. no it wasn't I guarantee yeah. you it wasn't the dude was hopped up on cocaine like they <laughs> did the same thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. they did the same thing about Freddy Krueger no dude had a dream made a fucking movie he wasn't worried about the client like shut, stop it's, right. it's like the critics say this shit to make sounds sound smarter. You're not. You're a fucking film critic. Let's calm down. The social right. commentary doesn't matter. Yeah. Now no. we're getting woke movies. But in the 80s, trust me, th- them having the abortion. It wasn't about politics. <laughs> no, no,
1: it was. That was what was. I don't want to say big in the, that time, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, so it was just talking about something that was going on in society and it wasn't, you know, promoting it or demoting it and it they're wasn't. like they're feminist. No, the
0: no. Wo- she's just a woman.
1: Yeah. Controlling her yeah. life. That's not exactly. a feminist.
0: That's yeah. a woman on top of her shit.
1: Right, right. Um and then low this is a fun little tidbit. Um this is Steve Martin's favorite movie. He's seen it at the time 27 times when he ran into um Olivia Hussey um so novelization so there was a book written in 1976 and it roughly follows the same plot but sticks with Ray Roy Moore's original script because of this the novel ends up fleshing out the characters more adding scenes and lines of dialogue that were initially cut from the film's final script and giving the sorority a little bit more backstory excuse me there was a documentary book called it's me Billy Black Christmas Revisited which talked about the original and the two remakes and has new interviews with the original cast members and more. So, we did have two remakes. Um, the first remake was directed by Glenn Morgan and was released on December 25th, 2006. It's very loosely based on the original film, containing more graphic content and a focus into the past of Billy, which I think, I think if the, which I liked, now nah, I'm not saying I like the reboot. I like the backstory of Billy. So basically Billy was, this Billy was born with a bad case of jaundice. His dad loved him. His mother despised him. So, um, and she didn't understand why the dad just doted on him so much. So when Billy was probably about 10 on Christmas, um, his dad had a present for him in his bedroom. And when he's going to go get it, the mom's boyfriend comes over and kills the dad in the manner which how billy killed the first characters after he, he like hits him on the head he puts a plastic bag on him so he he sees all this and he runs away up into the attic and the mom locks him up in the attic uh-huh. so now let's fast forward 10 years she wants to have you know she's trying to have sex with the boyfriend but he's that whiskey dick. So she goes up into the attic and he's, Billy's probably about 18 at this time, rocking in his chair. She's drunk. Takes, you see, just like clothes drop and she's rocking the cradle. Um, and thus, this is how Agnes is born. Ah. So not only is Agnes his sister, but also he's the father. Ah. So, yeah. So, And he ends up killing, you. he ends up killing the mom and the the brother, or I'm sorry, the stepfather, but he's also assaulting Agnes because he despises her because Agnes got the love that he didn't. So you see him attacking her, and that's when the mom comes upon him, and he kills the mom and the stepmother, or stepbrother, the stepfather, and then he's put in an institution. But they never tell you what really happened to Agnes. So it pretty much, and you you hear about this all through flashbacks. So at the time, you know, we have Lacey Chabert, who was like from Party of Five. You yep. have um, Michelle Trachtenberg from Euro yep. um, Trip, Buffy and and Your Trip, and then oh gosh, um, Katie Cassidy, who if you name sounds familiar, she was on the Arrow TV show. Okay, um, she was like the lead. And, um, she's also the daughter of David Cassidy, if you didn't know that. So, um, it, it was, you know, it, it was, it was okay. Uh, fans, diehard fans of the original did not like it. Shocker. Uh, yeah. Like I said, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it and Billy and Agnes were played by the same guy. <laughs> so, um, and Agnes, you know, when, I don't mean to make fun of little kids, but they got a little girl that, I don't know, I hope they put makeup on her to make her look ugly, you oh. know? Um, so you have you ever seen um, One Crazy Summer with John Cusack? Long time ago. Okay. Do you remember in the beginning when the girls are making fun of his um, sister to go, nee. and uh, someone says, if you keep making those faces, it's going to stay like that. And someone hit them on the back and she looks like a pig face. That's what this freaking little girl looked like. Oh wow. And Agnes was looking pretty hard well because she was played by the, the guy. Yeah. Um, but they did have the same kills. The the paper, the plastic bag, there was like a unicorn. I think my favorite kill was when the ice they 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 did it, they did a nod to Bob Clark, and the house mother got her head impaled by an icicle
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so i like that little nod um they definitely didn't leave it up for like a follow-up because um both agnes and billy were killed now the 29 29- 2019 remake follows the film the original film more closely and was just as slow paced as the original so uh-huh. I, I really didn't watch it it was more like room filter you know i gotcha yeah Now, I recently discovered a fan film called It's Me, It's Me, Billy, a Black Christmas fan film. A short fan film funded through an Indigo campaign was released on YouTube and Vimeo with with this title in May 2021. It is billed as an unofficial sequel to the original film and picks up the story 50 years later, following the granddaughter of Jess Bradford. The film was written, produced, and directed by Dave McRae and Bruce Dale and acts as a concept for a feature film, as well as the first part of a two-part story. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. It was nominated for a Best Cinematography in the Dramatic Short category. Um, and I have to say, it was 42 minutes, but it flew by. Ah, f- like, it was over before I even realized the 42 minutes. Beautifully shot for a fan film i i couldn't tell it was a fan film the the drone like the drone shots were really nice going over to canadian um scenery the acting was really good um they did leave it up for a sequel and you did see an adult billy still living in the attic and then i don't want to give away you know other stuff but um the voice i would say was just as creepy as the first one so if you got 42 minutes to kill and you're a fan of black christmas definitely give it a look on youtube um so this film also inspired other seasonal horror films most notably we have halloween friday the 13th prom night mother's day graduation day my bloody valentine silent night deadly night and april fool's day (laughs) This reminded
0: me a lot of My Bloody Valentine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But My Bloody Valentine is Canadian, too.
0: Oh, yeah, that could be
1: it. It, It's
0: been a long time since I saw it.
1: There is a fan film coming out called um, Valentine's Bluff. Yep. um, Nightmare Christie starring in that. That's right. And my friend Corey Kaufman plays like her John or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a hat that says <laughs> butt drugs. So <laughs> She um, talked coming... about
0: that in our interview on, oh, nice. on Haunts 365,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that should be coming out in February. I'm a backer of that. Um, my friend Chuck Ryan plays the minor, and I pledge like the Blu-ray, uh, pin, um, posters, a t-shirt by um I think it was either fright rags or terror threads. I got everything except for the Blu-ray, of course. That'll probably come out like I'll probably get it like February, March. Um, so we talked about it being inspired by real life murders. Um, the role of Peter was originally offered to be to Malcolm McDowell, but he turned it down, a decision he regrets to this day. And because, you know, he only he regrets it because of the mass filing its game. But you know what? He's got Clockwork Orange, yeah. other films he's been in. So, this one, I mean, it's one thing if like you haven't made other content and you reflect. Yeah. But I Clockwork think... Orange kicks the shit out of this movie. Oh, so, you're okay, sure. buddy. Yeah. Yeah. None of the actors portraying teenagers in the film were actually in their teens. In fact, the oldest actor portrayed college student was Care Dua, who was 38 years old at the time. <laughs> They got some 90210 (laughs) syndrome going on here. Um, Lynn Griffin and Olivia Hussey were the youngest being 22 and 23. And I believe Margaret was um, 28. Um, Billy's erratic phone calls made after each murder seems almost eerily similar to serial killer Paul Michael Stephanie's actions. Stephanie is known as the weepy voice killer and the moniker was developed due to his habit of calling the police after committing his crimes to confess his and billy's ramblings are similar as they were confusing and disorienting which changes in the voice meaning that they could not be properly identified however unlike billy stephanie was not vulgar in his calls and was confessing to his murders and that's black christmas
0: black christmas everyone check it out just for the love of horror i mean i'm not mad i watched it I don't know how I let you talk me into a fucking Christmas movie, but well, we
1: did. It's tis the season. Uh huh.
0: This is the season that's over in fucking <laughs> <laughs> nine goddamn days. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, um, so what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, what's your normal traditions? All right. So,
0: we're heading to her brother's house for Christmas okay. Eve for the Italian seven fishes mm. dinner and then uh christmas will be here
1: okay and what do you make him
0: she wants to do a ham so i guess we're doing boring ham
1: are you gonna like put it in your smoker
0: uh maybe okay it it's tough when it's cold out with that thing right
1: now i gotta okay i gotta so aside from it. the holiday you gotta appreciate the food though right uh thanksgiving's better really oh yeah without a oh, doubt come on the seven fishes. Yeah. Are you not a seafood guy?
0: I'm a seafood guy, but I would do seven different fishes.
1: Okay, gotcha, gotcha.
0: But uh, yeah, it'll be all right. Uh, Eagles Dallas game on Christmas Eve. Mm, Go Dallas! Oh, fuck Dallas! (laughs) What's their what's Eagles record? Eleven and one. Twelve and one right now. Twelve and one. About to be thirteen and one on Sunday. Who are they playing on Sunday? The Bears.
1: The Bears. The Bears. And. Well, yeah, it'll be 13 and one. And then I just, you know, what kind of crack are they smoking? I mean, what is going on this season? Like, uh,
0: it's everything's clicking. They're going to win the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, you think they're going to go all the way? To Super? Bowl. I,
0: I can't see a team beating them. Any team in this league, I don't see them beating them. So right who now.
1: who would be their opponent
0: in the Super Bowl? Probably yeah. either Buffalo or Kansas City.
1: Bills or like the Chiefs. See, I like to see Buffalo. Kansas was in it a couple of years ago so but what about tom brady man <laughs> fuck tom brady yeah he's I, getting invested getting by people below him <laughs> you, you can't beat
0: what he did but he's still a little girl and he'll always he be a little girl and yeah there's been better quarterbacks sorry i don't care about super bowl wins because it's now there's too much to play for a super bowl win
1: it's quality over quantity
0: yep exactly yeah. he's also yeah. lost almost as much as he's won the super bowl Nobody brings right. that up. Yeah, <laughs> nah, he's not, like no seven and five in the Super Bowl. You still lost uh, five fucking Super Bowls,
1: right? Yeah. Um, trying to think if I saw any hard news really uh, recently, you know, I should break this stuff down. I
0: know. I should really. We should just really send it back and forth to each other. Yeah. I have it on yeah. the phone.
1: Yeah, we'll figure yep. that out
0: though. Um, I did listen to uh, True Crime Garage. Okay. About the Idaho killings. Have you heard about that yet?
1: No. Is this like a newer story? Yeah, yeah,
0: very new. Okay. Four young ladies were killed in a sorority. I
1: don't know. Oh, well, I think three girls, one guy.
0: Yes, three girls, one guy. Two survived. Yes.
1: Which people are questioning, how do they survive?
0: Well, it depends on the layout of the house. Because...
1: Well, they were on the first floor, I think, so... But if
0: it's a split level, the bottom floor could look like a basement.
1: True.
0: So I don't know. It, yeah, like it, it, it's in a
1: small town too, I believe. And it's get it's
0: ringing serial killer vibes to me.
1: Yeah. Um. I remember listening to. I guess it was the DA or what when the when it first happened. Yeah. And he was tearing up on that. Um. On that like that press conference.
0: Yeah. They they know it's a mili- uh, not a military knife, but a well made knife. Because I guess the victims had a hilt mark from where the but knife But again,
1: was. four people in one house. How do you not hear screams? I don't know, man. So there yeah. could be multiple. Or okay. Bundy did it. True. True.
0: And that's what... Like, if, if it's a crime of passion, you're just going to kill the two involved. You're not going to yeah. kill the other two. But yeah. then there was other people survive it's so weird it's a yeah. it's a different kind of thing and uh i have to watch the story maybe we have to do an episode on it when they start wrapping some stuff up if they yeah, can wrap some
1: stuff up you know unfortunately it could be like the it could take a couple of years like look at the um delphi murder yeah yeah you know and, definitely-
0: and and the fucking media is on them like well where's our information no you get nothing because yeah. the problem with it is people get too much information then they could fuck with it yeah like they're yeah. gonna keep stuff to the chest so if they do find this killer he's gonna know stuff that no one else knows right yeah exactly exactly uh, so well, it's it's an interesting story yeah definitely
1: want to keep uh keep up on it oh yeah i'll keep watching it all right you do you you know i was actually thinking about i was thinking of um some stories we could talk about in the future and our plans if we can make this happen in august where we might go visit irene's family who live in tennessee they're not too far from nashville you know what's not too far from nashville the bell witch cave that's correct man so Would you stop? <laughs> that puppy's
0: excited. <laughs> yeah, he wants to go back out in the snow. <laughs> oh God, yeah.
1: Still a little bitch though. So, all right, Jared. Well, this has been a great episode. Oh yeah, we learned a lot about Black Christmas. Yep. Now you have to get me back one day with a bad movie. Oh, I got plenty. <laughs>
0: there are plenty out there.
1: There, there are. We could watch Sound Night Deadly Night too. i don't know if we're doing that bro (laughs) no i would not i would not put myself or you through that i tried watching it again a couple weeks ago and i was like i can't do it we do
0: have conspiracy news
1: oh what's that Eleven thousand
0: unredacted files from the kennedy assassination were released by the uh the national uh Uh, archives.
1: Now, is it good information now? Everything.
0: I I tried. I'm going to download them all. I couldn't read it on my phone. Yeah. But a lot of it had to do with Oswald
1: in Russia. But what? Yeah, but do we already know this stuff?
0: Probably. They're not going to release the good shit. They never will.
1: You know, and I know it's so like, you know, what one movie I really enjoyed about the um, assassination was Oliver
0: Stone's J? Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Garrison? Oh, such a... It's a really good story. It's yeah. wrong in some places. Yeah. But I I just listened to, like, the entire coverage from last last podcast on the left about the J.F.K. assassination, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it made me believe even more that Oswald had nothing to do with it. Oh, he was... Because he's, a, he's a career fuck-up.
1: He is. Like, I always felt he was a patsy.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. There's... Every, they went over his entire life. Yeah. You know how deep those guys get. Yeah. They went over his entire life. And I'm like, this makes me feel even less like this guy could pull this shit off.
1: No, not at all. <laughs> I always believed it was, a, I mean, it was probably the CIA working with the mob, you know? See, I'm leaning towards 100% mob. Okay.
0: Because they think were, they could
1: pull all that off, though? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without any help yeah but come on listen to Mr what's his name Mr. X why did he have a um a roofless limousine uh there's been
0: several documentation saying the JFK himself asked for that mm. and he was the one because if basically if the cab is unprotected with the roof mm-hmm. he would have social uh, secret service on the both bumpers. And on the footboards going down the doors to block people of him. Okay. But he was really going for the Texas vote to get reelected, he told them he wanted them ten yards back.
1: Gotcha. So that was all on Kennedy. He mm. subscribe to the magic bullet theory? No. <laughs> That makes sense. We got, we got we got some like you know it reminds me of like one that the movie Wanted, where the they make the bullet curve, right?
0: <laughs> but like even the guys on the last podcast on the left are like Kennedy Lee was hitting his back, mm-hmm. and then the other guy was hitting his throat. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What? Well, and how they say like when his head hit back, they said the bullet came from behind him. I was like, no way, no, no, no way. No. There, there's, there's, it's. The only serious threat to
0: Kennedy was the mob after fucking up Bay of Pigs. Yeah, and Marilyn
1: Monroe. Oh, yeah, but they wanted. it did you did you watch that documentary about her? Yes. And the, can, man, they tag teamed her. Man, I did not. Uh, yeah, know that. it was creepy. Very creepy, like that. Yeah, very creepy. So that made me feel even more confident that. Kennedy, robert kennedy had her
0: killed yeah basically you know? the it said that the mob helped get him get elected especially through the chicago vote
1: well yeah because you know uh, joe kennedy helped, yeah you know yeah so.
0: and then robert kennedy made it his mission to try and end the mob yeah so they were pissed so and honestly they weren't even mad about robert they wanted cuba they wanted cuba yeah. bad yeah and when kennedy couldn't fix it a year later, it just, yeah. it all adds up too much Then a yeah. fucking, a fuck up Russian, well, wannabe Russian Federalist who has, shut up. It was Lee Harvey, I guarantee you, no. he could not make those shots.
1: No. no I would bet a all. full paycheck. Even we, with the, that rifle, I felt like he couldn't do it. That
0: rifle know. can do it, but you gotta have the skill.
1: And he didn't have the skill as a marksman. He was a fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and one thing, you know who was re- speaking of like assassin assassin assassins. Sirhan Sirhan was released from prison like last year. Who did he, he was, kill? Like, Robert Kennedy.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah,
1: You know. In the I don't kitchen. Believe in, that. in the kitchen. I don't believe in that at all. Like if you if you assassinate a president, you should die. You know, of course California death penalty, but why is he why is he still and why did he get released but um, yeah,
0: but what was Robert Mark Kennedy D- at that time, though? Well, he was running for president. Oh, was he?
1: He was the attorney general, I believe. So. No,
0: because he got cut after Kennedy got killed.
1: So maybe he was a senator, but I know he was yeah. running for president. But like, look at Mark David Chapman. He's still in prison for trying to assassinate Reagan. Yeah. But he's making music, though. He's got albums <laughs> out. <laughs> All
0: of this fucking world, dude.
1: I know. You and I, we... Uh... You know, we get we get busted for a traffic ticket, and we're like serving some serious time. You know, yep.
0: and these guys are often political leaders. Yeah, but yeah, so, we'll we'll figure out our next show. We'll see. We got the holidays coming up.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think twenty twenty three will be a big big year for us as far as getting more fan oh, yeah. base and stuff out there.
0: Because we'll be able to so, hit some cons. We'll be able to hit some shows. We'll be able yeah. to get out and do some actual videography soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you'll just have to, like, when we have – when it starts getting warmer, we can do that. You said let me know weeks in advance so I can try oh, yeah. to request off for it because yeah. I had to, like – Wednesday was our – First come, first serve where we had any dates we think we need off, we had to put them in. So I, I right now I just put in for like Saturdays for a couple of conventions and then like I took a lot of days off in October. <laughs> so yeah. So the weekend of Halloween, whatever you and Terry are going, if it's somewhere local to us or somewhere near, I'm off that weekend of Halloween. So go. Cool. Yeah. We'll figure so, something out. Yeah, definitely. All right, my friend.
0: Alright guys, make sure you like, subscribe, tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your cousin. Uh, this has been the Horror Shed Podcast, Black Christmas. We will see you next week. Halloween Hulk, 365 Productions